So what we've, tra- what we've uh, uh, embarked on over the, the past couple weeks is um, what, uh, what God uses signs for. And we understand that God uses signs to, to reveal himself and to appoint um, to his glory. Uh, we, were, we are in uh, John uh, chapter, uh, this week we're going to be in John chapter 4, but we started in John chapter 20 and, and talking about why uh, the apostle John uh, identified these signs in which Jesus performed. Um, and and, and when, we, when we read in John chapter 20, we understand that it's all about belief and understand that, that it's pointing to Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God. And it's not just believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but by believing in Him that we can have eternal life. That's the whole book of John. That's all it's about, right? Because I know everybody's been reading it, right? Everybody, everybody's in, I'm in the book of John. Good, I'm glad that we're on the same page here, right? You were interactive a little bit earlier. You got to be interactive now. All right. Remember when we talked, we we we, uh, we embarked on this journey. I said that there was something missing that, that I believe that is in um, that is missing with inside of uh, the, the the church. Um, when well, I don't want to say universal, but let's just say that the church in the United States. And I think that, that one of the things that are, that are missing in the church in the United States, a pastor, uh, a friend and I were, were talking the other day, and he agrees with this, that we've, we've lost the, the majesty of who God is. The, the, the reverence for, for who it is that sits on the throne. And, and what we need to do is we need to regain that reverence, regain that majesty. And I believe that by looking at um, these signs in John, we can see how Jesus points to different attributes uh, of uh, the Godhead and how we can see that as he points to these different attributes that we can see how he's revealing um, himself to us. So um, as we continue on in this, um, everybody enjoy last week um, the, uh, the water and the wine? New insight, Anybody? Anybody, did anybody listen? Were we all sleeping? Oh my goodness, hopefully this week's a little bit better than. I apologize. No, I don't. All right, so we're reclaiming the majesty of God, right? And we're doing that by looking at um, the, these texts, these signs in the book of John. So uh, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we're going to read about the healing of an official son. Uh, now, when we, go, when we go through this, um, I, I, I want us to, to kind of try to put ourselves into this position, kind of um, uh, let, let, let's, let's forget about what, what's going on on the outside today, uh, and not, not that it's not important, but just for one moment, just push, how about this, in your mind, or even you could do it out, out in front, just push pause on, on, on what's going on in your life. And when I say that, just, just push pause on what's going on on the outside so you can be filled up on the inside with the, with the truth, keyword truth, of God's word and what he has to say to you today. Because as we're going to see and as we understand, maybe some of you are already sitting here and understand this, that it's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. It's the bondage in which we're in that we kind of pile stuff on and we need the truth to break free out of this. So uh, in John chapter 4, let, let's look at the text and we'll... Uh, uh, We'll just, we'll see what it says. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana and Galilee. Who's he? 
Jesus, all right, just make sure we're all on the same page here. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water into wine. Uh, I understand that, that, that um, Jesus has uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible had just taken place, the woman at the well, um, that, that Jesus met this woman and uh, um, shared the good news with her, and her life was transformed, but not only her life, but everybody around her, uh, their lives were transformed. So this is right after that. It says he came again to Cana in Galilee, where, the, where he had made water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So just to kind of give us a, l- a little bit of, of geography, here's a geography lesson. Uh, we have Cana uh, of Galilee, which is kind of it's up in the mountains. And then you have Capernaum, which is it's actually a little bit north um, uh, geographically. It's a little bit north of where Cana is at, uh, a little bit east, but it's down by the sea. So it's, it's by the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's, it's lower in sea level here. It's going to be important here in a second. So the, the area from, to, to make it from Capernaum to uh, uh, Cana, it's about roughly 20 miles or so, depending on the, the route you take through the mountains. So it says that there was a man, an official there with his son who was ill. So Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So when we look at this, we understand that that, um, something has been said about this man named Jesus, right? That he's doing some, some miraculous signs. He is doing some miraculous works. And we have this official son. Now, there's a lot of speculation. Is this a Gentile? Is this a Jew? The text doesn't tell us here. More than likely, it's probably a Jewish royal official, but we don't know. Nonetheless, this guy that had means, that's what I want to stress, this guy that had means, it was at his end. He didn't know what else to do. He's probably been to every physician in his area. And he, he, he heard about Jesus and what he has done. He's like, I'm, I got to go. Uh, if I don't go, my, my, my son is, is going to, to die. It says here that he heard that Jesus was coming and he went. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him. So he asked, he asked Jesus, okay, can you come down? And remember when I say come down, it's, it's actually going a little bit north, but it's coming down out of the mountains, down by, by the sea. That almost sounds like a song, right? Down by the sea. Some, somebody, yeah, okay. Under the sea? I was thinking, under the boardwalk, out on the sun. All right, never mind. Um, but, so, but, but, but the reason here is this, this, this guy, this official, he trekked 25, 20 to 25 miles uphill, up the mountain, to see Jesus. And look at Jesus' response when, he, when, when the guy says, hey, can you come down? It's easier going down than it is going up. Can you come down to Capernaum and and, and heal my son? Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Just just think about that. Honestly, if you were to to, to go um, and have this this physical ailment that's taking place, like like in this son, if you had this going on and you're coming to, to present that to Jesus... And you say, hey, Jesus, he's about ready to die. Jesus looks at you, and, and the you here is not just the, the guy, the official. He's actually looking at the official and then everybody around us, or everybody around him right there. It's, it's plural here. This you is for everybody that's in hearing distance. 
He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I, I don't know about you, but I know the thought that's going through my head. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about believing at this point. I'm worried about my son. I'm worried about him getting better. A anybody in here have that same thought? At least there's one person honest too. Okay, right? Jesus was presented with a physical, but where did he go right away? To the spiritual. I, I, I love this because it, it shows us that Jesus, yes, he does care about our physical needs, but he cares so much more about our spiritual needs. And not just our spiritual needs when I come to him, but all of those who are around us. He cares about their spiritual needs. He says then, the official said to him, to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. So he goes right back to, I just, I, I get it. All right, you're right. Yeah, I won't believe unless you, here, prove me wrong. All, all he's saying is like, hey, just come down. Just come, just come with me. Just come, come and, and, and lay your hand on them or spit on them or do the whatever you do to them. Anybody get that? Come, come on. I think that's one of the, mo the, the most entertaining stories in, in the Bible when, when Jesus spits and makes mud and wipes it on the guy's face or he spits in the, the guy's eyes. Mm. Man, oh man. Rough crowd. I know what. Everybody's looking forward to the fair, right? Elephant ears and cotton candy and french fries and what else? Bloomin onions. Le what? Blooming onions. onions. There you go. The, sausage sandwiches. Gyros. Now I'm preaching, right? Now I got your attention. All right. See, I, I'm, I'm looking at the physical here, and I, I'm, I'm addressing the physical. Now you're listening to me. Same thing here. Jesus is, this guy comes in with the physical, but Jesus is going to take it back to the spiritual. I'm going to do like Jesus. Bring it back to the spiritual. Here, Jesus looks at this official. After he says, come down and heal my, my son, he says, go, your son will live. <laughs> All right, go, your son will live. Uh, who in here needs a little bit more explanation? If, yeah, right. But what does this man do? This is, this is what is mind-blowing here. It says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as, go, and, as, and as he was going down, down the mountain on his 20-mile trek, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday... At the seventh hour, the fever left him. About one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and his whole household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, as we look at this, and, and, and the, the, what I want to stress here is that the, the man believed Jesus' word. As, as I asked, you and I both would be like, okay, wait a second. If you went to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, just go home. Well, I, I need some more. You got to give me more here. I can't just take you at your word. This man here took Jesus at his word. And as I, as I was kind of rolling through this, and, I, and I'm trying to identify, okay, as we're looking at this, and we're looking at the signs that, uh, that he's doing, that Jesus is doing here, and, and we're trying to, okay, let's, what attribute of God can we see that is, is apparent in this, in, in this sign, in this miracle? The first thing that, that popped up was truth. 
truth. Because when, 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 when the, the official encountered Jesus and he said his son was ill, Jesus came back with the truth. Unless you see signs and wonders, you're, you're not going to believe. And he says, well, heal my son. And he says, go, your son will live. He simply communicated the truth with this, young, with this man. Now, what's, what's the big idea with that? Well, God is, and one of the, one of, not, and, and I don't want to, to, to measure up all of God's attributes. There's a lot of them. But one of the greatest, I believe, and the most clearest thing that we can see in God's attributes is his truth. God is truth. Just think about that for a second. God is truth. But what's truth? What is truth? And don't, don't get your phone out and, and Google definition of truth. I already did it. Um, because try to, at least in your mind, try to explain truth without using the word true or even using the word truth. I think it's difficult sometimes for us to kind of like, well, we know what truth is, like the concept of truth, but we can't really define it. I, I took the liberty to define it for us here. It's conformity to fact or actuality. A statement proven to be or accepted as true. Even in a dictionary de definition, they have a hard time of using true. When we look at this and we understand that God is truth, we need to ask ourselves, well, why is this so important? Well, because a fundamental characteristic of God is truth. When we look at this and we, we, we ask the question, okay, so how do we know God is truth? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly um, in a couple of different places, actually more than that, but the Bible communicates to us very clearly that God does not lie. Uh, if you guys want to write down Numbers 23, 19. So God does not lie, but it's not that he does not lie. Hebrews 6, 18 says he cannot lie. Why does God not lie? Why um, does, or why can he not lie? It's because lying is in opposition to the nature of who God is. Lying is in opposition. So, okay, wait a second. I thought we were talking about truth. We are talking about truth, but what's the opposite of truth? A lie. We understand that, that, um, that, that lying is in opposition to uh, the nature, to the character and let's just say the name, because the name encompasses who God is and his nature, his attributes, everything about him. Lying is in opposition to the name and the character of God. Remember what we're setting out on to do here. Yeah, we had a little fun here, and now we've got to get a little bit serious, because what we have to understand is we're trying to reclaim the majesty of God here. And to reclaim the majesty of God, we can't just think that God is the pocket Jesus, right? I can take him, put him in my pocket, and when I need him, I'll pull him out. No, God is the one that sits on the throne. And how can he sit on the throne? Well, one of the reasons he can sit on the throne is because he is truth. God being truth. God being, and how about, I'm going to use this term, absolute truth. If, if anybody has taken a philosophy class in college or whatever, you've probably encountered the, the, the direction in which I'm going here. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, wait a second, you're saying that God is truth. There's really 
you know, what is truth? Even Pilate asked Jesus when he was on trial, what is truth? Well, we have to understand that some people are like, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And I wrote just a few of these down because I thought these were funny. We can have a little bit of poking fun here. Because the mindset or the thought process of relativism um, people who would say that, uh, um, you know, relative uh, or everything or all truth is, is relative and there's really no such thing as absolute truth. Has anybody ever heard that? There's really no such thing as absolute truth. It's all relative. It's all what I make it to be or it's all what you make it to be. I use the, the example before. I'll go up and, I, and, and um, I think it's okay to punch Jake in the face. I don't think that he's going to think that that's okay, Right? But if I say, well, that's, that's true to me, it's relative to me, well, who is he to say that my truth isn't relative then, or my truth isn't real? But that's the mindset of a, of a, of a relativist, and, and I like this because uh, if we say that all truth is relative, there's really no such thing, that what they're saying is there's really no such thing as truth. Which kind of gets into this postmodern mindset that, okay, the postmodern mindset uh, says that um, there is absolutely no absolute truth. Did anybody? Come on now, that's funny, right? Get it? Come on, let me say it one more time. So if a postmodernist says, okay, there's absolutely no absolute truth, what, what are they saying? They're saying absolutely that there's no absolute truth. It's self-defeating, right? Are we alive? Man, I, I know I was going to bring out some philosophy today, but I didn't think it would put you to sleep. Here, how about this one? Skepticism. Skeptics, they, 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 they question all truth, right? Doubt all truth. So I wrote this down. Is a skeptic skeptical of skepticism? Think about it, right? If they, if, they, if they are skeptical about all truth, so the truth in which they're claiming, are they really skeptical? Do they, they're just kind of confused about everything. Or, or you have the, 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 plural, the, the pluralistic view or the pluralism view that um, really that, that uh, all claims of truth are all equally valued. This is really comes into to the, the truth about religion, the truth about faith. Because like, oh, all roads lead to God. It's just different paths to get there. Well, there is something in the, the, the world of philosophy and everything called uh, the law of non-contradiction. Everybody, you, you know what it is, just a big fancy term. But the law of non-contradiction says that something cannot be both A and not A at the same time right? So pluralism is saying that it's, okay, it's A and not A at the same time. Well, it all unravels because it cannot be. The law of contradiction says that that, that, that can't be. So let, let's put this on terms. If, if the, the Muslim says that it's this way and the Buddhist says it's this way, but they all lead to the same path, well, somebody's wrong, Right? God is not a mountain in which we're just like different paths to get to, to the top. Why is that? And you've heard me go off on this rant before, and I'm surprised no one has put this sign up there, the whole coexist bumper sticker. 
Do, do you understand on the coexist bumper sticker you have monotheistic religions in there? There's three monotheistic religions that say that there is only one God. They can't coexist. That's the law of contradiction. And I, and I, I think that it's important to understand that when we're looking at this, the importance of, of, of truth in and of itself is we, we have to understand that all truth, all truth comes from God. Wait a second, that wall is hard. Exactly. The, the truth of physics, right? The laws of physics. There had to be a lawgiver. The law of gravity, lawgiver. All truth goes back to God. So when we're, we're asking ourselves and we're thinking about this, like we can start to see the importance of this attribute of God being truth. Right? So let's think about this. Because I wrote this question down, and you'll love this one. Why is it so important to understand and embrace the concept of absolute truth in all areas of life, especially in faith, but in all areas of life? My answer to this was simply because life has consequences for being wrong. Why is it so important to know the truth? Because when we are wrong about something, there are consequences that follow, right? The one thing that I don't want to be wrong about, and I don't want anybody that's sitting here hearing my voice or wherever to be wrong about, is God and His truth. Because the consequence for that is eternal. It's eternal separation from Him. It, understanding that, 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 well, but Lee, we're just talking about the truth here and on earth. If we start with the small things and we lie in the little things, it's going to escalate to the big things. I, I, I think that it's important that we, we, we look at this. I, I, I think that when we're talking about truth, we can't help but talk about the opposite. We talk that the opposite is, is lying, is a lie. Opposite of truth is a lie. A lie is a statement that deviates from or perverts the truth. Think about that for a second. A statement that, that deviates from or perverts the, tr the truth. Let me read this to you. At its root, lying is intentional dishonesty. Deliberately trying to make a person believe something that is not true. I think that we would all agree with that, right? Many lies are false statements. But, this is where we're going to get a little squirmy, half-truths, distortions, concealment, insincerity, exaggerations, and baseless assertions intended to deceive or mislead someone are also lies equally damaging. Think about that for a second. Half-truths, distortions, concealment. What do you mean concealment? Keeping secrets about something you know. Insincerity, exaggerations, baseless assertions. That's the one I think that gets us the most. People, I'll use the terms in which we use, jump to conclusions, right? Baseless assertions. When you dis deceive or mislead someone, that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a lie, and if we're thinking about, okay, wait a second, 
God is truth. Lying is opposite of God. I want to reclaim the majesty of God because he's the one that sits on the throne. We have to understand that God doesn't just dislike lying or lies. The Bible says that lying is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination to the Lord. So that's not a, a word in which we usually use. He, he doesn't just dislike lying. He hates lying. I had another one here. Let me, let me, let me read the, this one. I wasn't going to read this, but I think it would go along with this. Even lies we justify by our good intentions. The ones we call white lies right, can blow up in our face when discovered. The lie often looks very different from the perspective of the person lied to than the person telling the lie. How many of us would give permission to people that we know to lie to me whenever you think it's for my own good? Well, that's kind of, that's, that's too much. No, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it's too much because I think that we're, we're, we're minimizing the damage that happens when someone lies. When you lie, you just, you break down trust. Trust is something that is hard to come by. Now that I've got your attention, I want to go through six things real quick. And I, I call these truths about lying. There's kind of like an oxymoron there, right? I didn't say that you're a moron. It's, it's an oxymoron. Truths about lying. First one, honesty may not always pay, but lying always costs. Even if you think you got away with it, God knows. The second one, there is no security in secrecy. Every undiscovered lie is a live landmine. Third one, lies look very different to the person lied to than the person telling the lie. I, I know that these are, these are kind of, some, some, for some of you it's like hitting pretty deep right now. You're remembering times in which you've been lied to. But think about this. In the context of what we started this whole thing out with the, the story of this, this guy going to Jesus for help, for his son to be healed. If Jesus said, go, your son will live, and Jesus didn't speak the truth and just lied to him, what would be the outcome? The son would have died, Right? We need to understand that the, 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 the truth has great power in it. John tells us that, that, it, uh, that, that um, not only about what Jesus says, that he's the way, the truth, and life. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But we understand that it is the truth that sets us free. It was the truth that Jesus spoke to this man when he came and saying, go, your son will live, that, that set his son free from the bondage, this illness in which he had. The fourth one, this one's, this one's difficult because I think this is going to hit. Rationalizing, justifying, or trying to minimize a lie only deepens distrust. 
that's that one of the statements in which it is like nails on the chalkboard to, to me is when I'm talking to someone and they they just they lie straight to your face and you catch them in the, in, in, in the lie and then they say words like this well I didn't mean it like that or that's not what I meant to say and they start trying to shovel right they're trying to, 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 to dig out of the hole, and all they're doing is just digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper because they're trying to rationalize. They're trying to justify. And they're trying to minimize what they just did. What they just did is they just spoke contrary to the nature of God. Now, that doesn't make you God. What that means, though, is that that, that, that trust, that truth that you're, you're, you're basing, if it's a, a relationship, a friendship, whatever, whatever it is that, 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 that truth is, is, is um, uh, helping build that trust, that trust has just started to break down. Don't, don't raise your hands, but I mean, I'm sure that everybody in here has been affected by this in one way or another. Someone has, has said a lie and then they, they try to, try to uh, make up for their lie, which kind of comes to the next one, the next one. Number five, apologies for lying help, but they can't remove the scar or heal the wound. Still there. Lying just goes deep, so very deep that that, that words can't just heal it. The last one. You can disguise lies in half-truths or even silence. But a lie is a lie. Why, why, why am I harping on this? Why am I getting up on my soapbox here and, and talking so very much about lying? Well, me personally, my wife will tell you, my kids will tell you. My, one of the things that, that I hate, I, I do, and it's not because I'm godly or anything, it's I hate being lied to. Because you can't help someone that all they do is lie to you. We have so many hurting people that need help, but all they're doing is they're lying to those who are trying to help them. When this guy came to Jesus, he says flat out said, hey, my son is dying. He didn't say, well, you know, this is happening, this happened, and give him a whole line. No, he just said flat out, straight up, I need your help. Too many times, too many of you, too many, too many times I do the same thing and I got to stop. I try to sugarcoat what it is that I need from God. And the one that I lie to the most is me. And when we lie to ourselves, what happens is we start believing the lie. In Romans, it talks about, and we won't go there because we just for time's sake, but in Romans 1, it talks about how those who have given up the truth for a lie and started to worship the creation instead of the creator. When we give up the truth and we start to believe the lie, of course our lives are going to be jacked. As people of God, and I said this many times before, and I I believe this still, as people of God, I believe that, that, that you, I believe that I, I believe that we want to please God. And there is nothing more pleasing to God than his children being characterized by truth. Because what happens is the the enemy wants to deceive you. 
The enemy wants to deceive you and to say, well, you're worthless. You ain't, you ain't going to amount to anything and you're defeated and you know, I, no, you're not loved. And you know, all of these things, he's going to attack in all these ways. Jesus talks about the devil. He's the father of all lies. There's a reason why, why Satan is called the great deceiver. He uses lies to deceive. So it's, it's so very important for us to focus on what the truth is. As people of God, we should be characterized by the truth. We should have a desire to say, I'm going to stop. If you're, li- if you're lying, I don't care, little lie, big lie, whatever. Don't, don't try to, to have different gradations of lying. And it's okay to do this, it's not okay to do that. And don't come to me with, with, well, was it okay for this? I'm not the judge on any of it. What I can tell you, though, that God is a God of truth. He identifies himself that way. Like I said, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Remember we talked about that we can have all of these different um, philosophical reasons and theories about how what absolute truth is, and, and uh, we can apply that to, to, to faith, and everybody will eventually get to God. But the problem with that is God says that that doesn't happen. He says there's one way, and it's my way. Not Lee's way, God's way. Remember we talked about last week that that, that God gives us um, the the way in which to live, but it's not so he can keep us uh, oppressed. It's so we can be free to have life. I think that as we're we're, we're looking at this and as we're um, um, seeing this attribute of, of, of truth, we can see that Jesus uses this attribute of truth to reveal his glory, not only to the official, not only to the official son, the one who, who experienced the, the, the miraculous work, but also his household there. By Jesus speaking the truth to this man, something amazing happened. Some of you are sitting here like you're, you're saying, I, I know it, I can hear you. I can hear you saying it. I want Jesus to speak a truth to me. He has. He's spoken many truths the problem is we're looking for some miraculous work. We're looking for some big sign or anything. What we need to do is we just need to look at the truth itself and do what I always say. Be faithful in the smalls and trust God for the bigs. If we're faithfully taking one step after another and we're putting all of our faith, our trust in God, because we can, because he does not lie, well, I don't know what, what, what God wants me to do. And I don't know about that. Well, you can know. We can know. There's a reason that Jesus came. He came to reveal the Father to us. And he said when he, when he was getting ready to leave, he said, you know what? When I go, it's going to be better for me to go because I'm going to send one to be with you. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the helper to be inside of you. And he's not only going to be the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, it says also he's the spirit of truth. And this is right after Jesus says that the truth will set you free. 
I think that's what we need to focus on. If we're going to regain the majesty of who sits on the throne, we need to understand that the one who sits on the throne is true. He is faithful. He is just. What he says is for our own good, even if you don't like it. I've said this before. If you have read the Bible and you haven't found something that you don't like, you haven't read the Bible. There are things that you're going to be confronted with because sometimes the truth hurts. But it's not there to make you feel bad like the devil wants you to feel. It's there so you, you can be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. It's understanding that we've got work to do. It's ongoing. This side of, of eternity is important. Understanding that we've got to see God for who he is. Just think about this. If we had a better picture, an image of who God is in our head, we would be all the more excited to spend eternity with him instead of going day by day fearing everything in which you encounter. The truth sets us free. The truth sets us free to live a life that we can't even, under, we can't even imagine. Is that material growth, material wealth? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what I do know is it is a peace from God. And every single one of you in here desire having peace. Because anytime you get an impulse and you're kind of like, ah, you're always buying something or going somewhere or filling some kind of void with something. It's because you're desiring peace. God gives us peace. Peace that, that, that passes all understanding. But we have to learn to be content. And the way in which we learn to be content is just to believe his truth. And by believing his truth, things will change. Let's pray. Our Father God, um, you, uh, you took that a whole different way in which I was thinking. But God, I know that there's someone here that needed to hear the words in which you gave to me to speak today. God, I hope through all the, the, the ramblings of a madman here that we can, we can see, we can hear, we can understand that truth matters. And when we live contrary to truth, when we live in lies and we believe lies, those lies are not from you. God, the one we, 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 we lie to the most is ourselves. God, it's my prayer that, that, that we can just, we can do as Jesus says to, to Peter when, he, when he's acting a fool. He says, get behind me, Satan. That we can so know your truth that we can identify the lie and we can turn away from the lie and we can just continue to focus on your truth. God, I know that you don't make things difficult. They're simple and we jack them all up. But God, it, it, it's my prayer that we can start to, 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 to just start peeling back the, 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 the darkness of the world that has, has, has uh, um, overcome our hearts, the, the hardness of our hearts to be able to see who you are. And then as we see who you are and as your truth reveals to us those areas, those dark spots in our lives that we need to change, God, I, I pray that we just press into you and we say, okay, God, I want to change. Knowing that you're the only one 
that's going to be able to do that work. But God, it takes us submitting to you. So Father, my, my, my prayer is that, that we be honest with ourselves, that we be honest with, with one another, that we are a people that are set apart for your work. That as we go about at the fair this week and we run into people that we haven't seen since last year at the fair, that, that we can just have that relational moment, that, that, that moment that, 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 that takes and just moves whoever that is, and, and even us, a little bit closer to you. Just a little bit at a time. God, let us be faithful in the smalls. Let us trust you for the bigs. God, we thank you for your truth, and we ask that we could just feed upon that. Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray this. Amen.